Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. We are nearing the end of our series called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And throughout this series, we've been looking at different things that are believed um, and even expressed in the church or in the Christian community that are just not true. Um, And they're dangerous because they're not true about God or about the Christian life. And we've been looking at some of them. For example, in week one, we looked at the phrase or the expression that people uh, say when they say God helps those that help themselves. And, and we said that that's not in the Bible, that the Bible doesn't teach that. The, in fact, the Bible teaches that God helps those not that put themselves first, but that put God first. Amen. Um, if you don't have an outline, would you raise your hand? We have ushers uh, ready to pass one out. If you need one, just keep your hand out and they're going to come around and give one to you. Then the second week, we looked at this expression that is well intended that says, you know, God never gives you more than you can handle. And we learned that God actually does give us more than we can handle. But that he will never give us more than he can handle. Amen. And then last week we looked at at this other um, sort of thought. And it's not so much an expression as it is a thought. That obedience always leads to financial blessing. That if you obey God as a Christian you should be rich and you should be healthy. And you should have all things going on for you. And the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible does teach that God blesses us, and we talked about that. But the Bible teaches that we need to be content. That we, need, that we can make it in spite of whatever our circumstance. And um, for today, we're going to look at one today in a, in a last one next week. And, a, and I'll tell you next week what it is going to be. Um, I don't know if you've ever been told or have ever heard somebody say uh, this expression where they say, Oh, they're sick because they're in sin. We're going to look at what the, the Bible actually does say that and uh, or what it actually teaches. But this week, I want us to look at a passage before we looked at, 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 at the one expression or believe. And um, just so you know, this is Jesus speaking, okay? This is at the Sermon of the Mount. The first week, we began with the Sermon of the Mount. And this week, we're going to look at it again. And Jesus is talking here, okay? And look at what he says. Read it with me. It's right there in your outlines inside the bulletin. Jesus says... Do not what? Judge. Or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother... Let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye and the church says, amen, right? Isn't that true? It's like, why are you all up in my Kool-Aid and not deal with yours, right? Look at what Jesus says. Now, don't, I, I wouldn't advise you to say this to, to, to somebody, but Jesus gets to say it. He says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from what? 
your brother's eye. So the phrase, the belief that I want us to look at today, that the Bible doesn't say, and you can fill this out, is that do not judge others. Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard that? You know, you, you, you don't judge others. Or, or, or if you're a, a, a young person, um, you know, Tupac made this very popular. Only God can judge me. Right? You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Um, so here's the thing, though. Here's my first initial thought on this. Um, just, um, and this is just more of a response for me than, than, than the Bible. But, but anybody who says you're not supposed to judge lives in fantasy land. Come on, let's be honest. Why? Because we all judge. Everybody judges. We live, especially in America, in a very judgmental uh, uh, society. And anybody who says, oh, you're not supposed to be judging, that in itself is a judgment. Right? But, 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 but here's the thing. The phrase, do not judge, is found in the Bible. And Jesus said it. So, do we judge or do we not judge? Because the phrase, the expression, do not judge, is in the Bible, and it was set by Jesus. So, do we get to judge or not? Well, here's the thing. This teaching of Jesus is widely misunderstood. And today, it's not so much about what the Bible doesn't say, but about what the Bible doesn't mean. Because the expression, do not judge, is in the Bible. But now we got to ask, what did Jesus mean? What is it that he said? And while Jesus does say, do not judge, this is not a blank statement to not judge at all. Jesus is not saying, stick to your business and don't worry about anybody else. Actually, when Jesus says... Do not judge. He's not issuing a prohibition. He's not issuing uh, or saying something we shouldn't do. What Jesus is doing is that he's giving us a warning. Jesus is not talking about what we shouldn't do. He's talking about how we should go about doing that. Let me prove that to you because you may be saying, well, um, Jesus said, do not judge because if you judge, um, you will be judged that way. So, so isn't it as clear as water? Well, well, Jesus is not saying not to judge because in that same passage, he tells us to judge. In fact, look, look, at me at ver- look with me at verses 3 through 5 and look at what he says. He says, he says why do you look... At the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, listen to this, okay? He says, why do you look and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? And then it's, it's there. He says, you hypocrite. So what Jesus is really against here is hypocritical judgment. The judgment that, that, that just notices everybody else's flaws but doesn't take time to look at their own. Okay? And look at what he says. He says, you hypocrite. And this next part is, it's key. Jesus says, first take the plank out of your own eye. Jesus says, first deal with you. Right? 
But he doesn't say, and stay there. He doesn't say, just take the plank out of your own eye, worry about your plank. No, he says, first take the plank out of your eye, and then, and then, you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is not talking about not judging. What Jesus is saying here is that we need to be very careful how we judge. In fact, just a few uh, uh, verses later, in, in verse 24, look at what Jesus says. It's right there in your outline. He says, stop judging by mere appearance, but instead, what does he say? So Jesus is definitely not saying not to judge. Okay? Jesus is not saying not to judge. And let me make this very clear. Jesus is not saying others can't judge you. What Jesus is saying is that he's telling you to be careful how you judge. Your biggest problem and my biggest problem when it comes to judgment or judging is not how others do it. It's how we do it. Our biggest concern should not be how others judge, but how we go about judging others. And Jesus is warning against hypocrisy in judging others. In that hypocrisy, and this is where this comes into illustration, and Jesus um, um, does it so beautifully. He says, how can you see a speck? And we're talking about a tiny grain of sawdust. He says, how can you notice the speck in your brother's eye when you got a plank in your own eye? And when you think of a plank, I want you to think one of these, that they're bigger. But I brought this one for illustration, okay? And Jesus says, how can you go around like this and then say, oh, look at Joe. Look, 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 look at that speck of sawdust in the side. And look at my Nolo. Look at this. That's hypocritical. And that's what Jesus was warning against. Not He wasn't prohibiting judging. He was prohibiting and warning against hypocritical judgment. Now, question. It's really, really awesome. You got to ask yourself, how can somebody with the plank in their eyes see a speck of sawdust in somebody's eye? How? You know how? Because they're looking for it. The only way you can have a big old plank in your own eye and see a speck of sawdust in somebody's eye is because you're looking for it. And that's what Jesus was also warning against. That there's, he's saying, listen, by the way, by the way, people that can see a speck of sawdust in somebody else is because they're very well familiar with that issue in their own life. And it's such a big issue in their life that when they see a small hint in somebody else, they can recognize it. And Jesus was saying, hey, hey, I'm not prohibiting from you wanting to correct and call out your brother. But before you do that, deal with your own. Why? You can't help somebody else to do something that you haven't been able to do in your life. And what Jesus is saying here is not to judge, but to be careful how we judge. So here's what the Bible does say, okay? Here's what the Bible does teach. And fill this out in your outline. 
Jesus is saying that we are to be careful how we judge others. That we are to be careful. Okay? So we really got to get rid of this one in our church. You can't judge me. Who are you to tell me anything? Jesus was not saying that others can't judge you. Jesus was not saying not to judge. He was saying, be careful how you judge. And if we each just took on that, I think things would really change. And it's very clear in the Bible. I don't have enough time to show you all the verses where we are commanded, instructed, told to judge. And and judging is necessary. Because here's why. We have a responsibility. But also, also, in the context of what God made the church, failing to judge and call each other out is irresponsible and unloving. See, see, our society has the other way around. Our society says, if you love me, you will accept me and not judge me. And I want to tell you that that's wrong. It's popular, but it's wrong. Right? Well, just if if you don't accept me, um, then you don't love me. No, 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 no. Because we accept you. Because we love you. We need to call each other out. We need to correct each other out. Or or to use a, a language that is common in this church, we need to be accountable to one another. We need to do that. And here's why. Here's why. Not only did Jesus instruct us to, but when you read about how God created the church, God formed the church so that it would be a community of accountability and honesty. God made the church not so that you could deal with your, with your uh, spiritual guilt or, or so that you could be religious. No, no, no. God created the church so that it would be a community, first of all. So that it would be a family. but it, So that it would be a community and a family that is accountable and honest with each other. And we need to be willing to accept God's design of the church and not make church what we think it ought to be. A place where we just go and nobody leaves us alone and they only tell us our blessings and they only praise us and they stay out of our way. And when we get in trouble because they didn't, nobody corrected us for the wrong we were doing, then they have to be there to help us. And it doesn't work that way. It's not supposed to work that way. In fact, I want us to look at a passage in one of Paul's letter that shows us, that clearly shows us this, okay? And, and, and by the way, um, this is just, I, I know this is just kind of a, a, um, a rock, you know, but um, it, it bothers me. Pray for me. It bothers me when I hear Christians say, oh, the church needs to go back to the New Testament church, you know? Where like they have this idea that the New Testament church, um, um, and, and here's the way they mean it, where they think it had no problems. Paul wrote a bunch of letters to address the problems in the church. This letter that we're about to read <laughs> is a letter that he wrote to address issues in the church. And they had all kinds of issues they, that some were finding. Know that I follow this leader and know that I follow that leader and know that I follow that leader. And know that I am more important than you and know that this gift is more important than the one you got. And Paul wrote these letters, these epistles to address issues in the church. And, and, and here's simply what that means. It means that there's always going to be issues in the church. You know why? Not because I'm the pastor, but because you're here. I'm serious. I'm not trying to be 
I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm not the problem. I'm part of the problem. I bring a problem to it, but I'm not the whole problem. We are. You know why? Because God is still molding us. Because God is still shaping us. And because God is still shaping us, that's we're calling each other out. We're holding each other accountable. We're passing judgment. We're going to talk about the right kind of judgment is important. So let's look at this letter. You're, you, you know, if you like novelas, if you like soap operas, this is going to feel like one, okay? Um, it'd be like, really? That was going on at church? Look, look at what Paul writes, okay? And I'm going to stop back and forth. Um, he says, I can hardly believe... The reports about sexual immorality going on among you. So although Paul was not in Corinth, he heard. Amen. Somebody told him. It was well known what was going on. Amen. So gossip has always been part of it. And look at what he says. He says, I can't believe. He says, it's something that even pagans don't do. And if you don't know what a pagan is, it's somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. Somebody who, who hasn't placed their faith in Jesus. Which, by the way, if you're here this morning and you don't consider yourself a Christian, this message doesn't apply to you. This is, this is, this is something that, that, that's, that's meant for those of us that, that have said, Jesus is my Lord. And it's a really high standard, and that's why unless Jesus is your Lord, you don't have to follow it. Because the reason we have to follow it is because Jesus said it, and because Jesus is our Lord. So if he's not your Lord, you get to choose whether you want to do this or not. Okay? But look at what Paul says. He says, I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. So there was a guy in this church who was... Living with his dad's wife, with his stepmom. Again, I don't have time to go into the Old Testament and look at why that was sin and that was uh, prohibited, but it's common sense, right? And look at what Paul says. He says, you are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning and sorrow and shame. Why does Paul say they are so proud of themselves? Here's why. It is believed that the church in Corinth would boast about how gracious and accepting they were to people. And, and, and Paul saying, you think that allowing somebody like this in your church and letting them be part is something for you to boast about. But in reality, you should be mourning. You should, you should be ashamed of doing such a thing. I know I got, I got silent too. Um, and he gets even tougher. He says, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. You should remove this man from your church. To, to which you would probably be asking, what? Really? Is that even loving? Is that a reflection of Jesus? Well, look at what Paul continues on to say. He says, even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in the spirit. And though I, and though I were there, I have what? Pass judgment on this man. And listen to this. In the name of the Lord Jesus. So the Bible doesn't prohibit judging. Because Paul did it. And even did it in the name of Jesus. He says, I have made a decision. I have something to say regarding this situation. And I pass, that, I pass that stand in the name of Jesus. 
And he goes on to say, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day of our Lord. Now, here's what Paul is saying. It's so important. He says, you got to remove this man from the protection of the fellowship. And here's what you need to know. If you think church doesn't matter, it does. There's a blessing. There's a protection that comes from belonging to the body of Christ. Okay? And if you don't place value in that, you're cutting yourself short. And Paul says, remove this man from that protection, from that blessing, and let him out into the world because Satan is the Lord of this world. He says, let him out so that his sinful nature can be dealt with and he can, perhaps his soul can be saved. Um, Spurgeon said the following, and I, it was so beautiful. He said, it's salvation in sin is impossible. Salvation from sin is what we're called to. You know the difference? Salvation in sin where you say, well, I got this in, but God understands and the church needs to accept me. And Paul says, no, that's impossible. Because sin is what separates us. Salvation is actually to be taken out of that sin, out of the power, out of the authority, out of the lordship of sin. And that's what Paul is saying here. Let's continue on reading. He says, you're boasting about this is terrible. And he repeats it again. And then Paul in the next verses, he's going to, to use the Passover as an illustration to talk about this whole issue. Um, and if you don't know what the Passover is, um, remember the, the, the 10 plagues when, when the angel of the Lord came upon the Egyptian land and it killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians. And God told the Israelites to take a lamb and, and to kill it and then to... to, to, to um, to, to be able to rub the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. But also one of the things that, that God instructed the Israelites was to get rid of all the yeast, of all the bread that had yeast in their house. They had to completely get rid of it and not eat any yeast um, for a whole week. And, and, and here's what you need to understand. In, in the Bible, yeast is symbolic of sin. It's synonymous. It's, a, it's an illustration of sin. So, so what God was saying when he was asking them to get rid of the bread that had yeast, he was saying get rid of sin sin and Paul is about to use the Passover to illustrate a very important principle look at what he says don't you realize that this sin is like the little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough and here's why because the culture in that time they were accustomed that when they would do when they would get ready to make bread they would put a little bit of yeast and they wouldn't cook the whole dough they would save a small portion of it and put it aside so that the next time they did bread the next day or in the evening they would take that dough that they had saved that had yeast and they would mesh it with the new uh, dough and, and, the, and that yeast would spread in the new dough and then they would take another piece from that and save it for the next day because the yeast would continue to contaminate the following doughs. You follow that? You follow me? Okay? And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, don't you realize that this sin, yeast, is like the yeast that spread through the whole batch of dough? And look at what he says. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. 
then you will be able to be a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you are, what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And here's why. The Passover, one of the things that the Passover symbolized was purity and innocence. And Paul's saying, Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, died not so that you can continue to live in sin, so that you can walk in purity. Paul's calling the church, and Paul's instructing the church to be as pure as possible. And how do you deal? How do you, how do you keep the, the church pure? By dealing with the sin that arises in the church. Let's continue reading. Let's continue reading. Verse 8. So let us celebrate the festival, not with old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of, of sincerity and what? Truth. When I wrote to you before, this is so awesome, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to, to, to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Listen to this. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. Right? Paul wasn't saying as a Christian, you can't be around sinful people because then we, most of us wouldn't be able to have a job. Most of us, we wouldn't be able to uh, be with our family members. So what is it that Paul meant? Here's what he, he explains it. He says, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility. This is something church, Dayspring, we got to get this. It isn't our responsibility to judge outsiders. Stop judging your friends on Facebook that are not Christians for Christian values that they shouldn't and don't need to have. Stop expecting non-believers to behave like believers and let's start getting the believers to behave like real believers. Man. I knew I needed a stick today. No, I'm playing. He says... It isn't my responsibility to judge others, but it certainly is, listen to this, your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are what? You have a responsibility to judge people. When? When they're sinning. You don't get to judge them about everything. You only get to judge what? You got to get that this morning. I don't want you walking out of here and say, you know, pastor said that Jesus said that I have a responsibility to judge you. No. In sin. I know I got five minutes. I got to hurry up. Okay. Now, a couple of things. Um, verse 13, he says, God will judge those on the outside, but as scripture said, you must remove the evil person from among you. And I really wish I had more time to explain why Paul went to such extreme. Um, but let me tell you just um, three um, specific characteristics of this situation that led to Paul um, taking that decision. Okay, so, so just so that you don't think that every time we have to do that. Um, first of all, um, uh, when it came to this specific situation, it was pu public knowledge. Everyone knew about it. Okay, and Paul says because it's a public knowledge, you got because it's a public issue, you got to deal with it publicly. The second thing, it was consistent. It wasn't a one-time thing. 
Okay? It was something that was consistent. And the, and the third thing is that there was, there was a spirit of unrepentance in these individuals. Where they, they had been told, but, but they, they, there, there hadn't been changed. So I got five minutes to give you some guidelines really, really, really fast, okay? So the Bible doesn't prohibit judging. It warns that we need to be careful when we judge. And that we need to judge each other, call each other out when it comes to sin issues. So I want to give you some guidelines, okay? I want to give you some guidelines, okay? Because I... I we have a responsibility. I want our church to be as pure and as holy as possible. We got to stop letting the, the thoughts of the culture infiltrate our church and say, well, if you judge me, you don't love me. No, I love you. Okay? So let me give you some guidelines. Number one, um, and, and these are not um, um, all the guidelines. Uh, um, I, I just hope that this kind of gets your curiosity thinking. And I really wish this sermon had been during life groups because this is a topic worth talking to others about and discussing at a table. So maybe when you go to lunch, you can talk about this with, with your family, friends, your kids, um, or, or, you know, whatever. Um, um, okay, so here's the guidelines. Number one, okay, number one, you don't have to be silent about everything. Okay, you got to know you don't have to be silent about everything or you don't have to be silent every time. As a Christian, you are not called to be silent about everything. You have, we have a responsibility and proper judgment is the result of love, right? Listen to this. You don't show love to a body by being kind to cancer, right? You don't say, oh, be, uh, we're going to love their body, so we're just going to be kind to cancer because that's part of what's in their body. No, because you know cancer is deadly, you're, and you love that individual, and you want them to, leave, to live. You're, you're going to treat that cancer aggressively. So being, being passive or, or, or being blind and sticking your head in the ground when there's sin in somebody else that is killing them is not Christ-like. And we don't have to be silent every time. If you see somebody headed for destruction, you got to say something. When you see a brother or a sister who's destroying their family, who's destroying their marriage, who's destroying their reputation because of sin, we have a responsibility to say something. Now, everyone has an opinion. Everyone has an opinion. It's really easy to have an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion about, especially if when you're a public figure, everybody's got an opinion, okay? You don't judge others based on your opinion. You judge others based on the word of God. And that's the importance of knowing the word of God. Because if you don't know the word of God, you're going to judge them on what's popular or what you think, on your experience. And we don't do that. We judge each other. We hold each other accountable. We call each other out based on the word of God, not our opinion. So number one, you don't have to be silent about everything. Number two, you don't have to be the hammer for everything. Okay? There's some people who think God gave them a calling to correct everybody. That's a lie. They have a calling of discouragement and judgment uh, and condemnation, and that is not right, okay? While you have a responsibility as a Christian, you ready for this? You don't have all the responsibility. There's only one that will judge everyone and everything, and you're not it. 
His name is Lord of Lords. Amen? So, so you don't have to judge everything, okay? There are things that the Bible makes it very clear that you are to judge and things that you are not to judge. It's okay. Nobody fell. I promise you. Okay? Here's what you don't judge. You ready for this? You got to get this. You don't judge people's intentions. You can't judge. Oh, they only did that because they, they, they want the pastor to let them go on stage. They only did that because they want to get some brownie points. No, that's judging intentions. You don't judge people's intentions. Only God knows the heart and only God can judge the heart. So what is it that you do judge? You judge sinful, you ready for this? Behavior. Sinful behavior. Not what you th- why you think they're doing it. Oh, he only does it because he wants to get paid more. You don't know that. Don't do that. Let me prove this to you. Look at what Jesus said. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15 through 16, the same passage. He says, watch out, right? He's saying, watch out. Now, how do you watch out? How do you determine um, what Jesus is going to ask us to do? Watch out for false teachers. They come to you dressed as if they were sheep. See, Jesus knows that. And he says, on the inside, they are hungry, what? Wolves. You got to watch out for false teachers who on the outside are good, but the inside, their motives are not good. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us to judge their intentions. Look at what he says for us to do. He says, you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their actions. You will know them by what is manifesting in their lives. And that is what you judge. Not their intentions, not their heart. You judge their actions. Now, question, you may be wondering because you're really smart people. How do I know when to speak and what do, when do I know when to hold silence? Well, that's a really good question. I'm not smart enough to answer it, but I can give you some suggestions. Can I do that? Okay. Number one, give you some, some guidelines to know when to speak and when not to speak. Number one, um, well, we got to start with the words of Jesus and ask, have I removed the plank from my eye? Okay, like if you see something and you say, should I say something or should I hold silent? The first thing you need to ask is, have I dealt with my issues where I know how to help somebody else because I have been helped? That's one. Number two, how serious is the sin? You really have to ask yourself, how serious is the sin? Number three, how close is your relationship with them? Relationship matters. And if there's somebody closer, pray that God would use that person to be the one to call the other person out. And then fourth, and this is really, really important, you need to discern in the spirit. You need to be guided by the spirit and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is this something you want me to do? And do you want me to do it now? So those are just some guidelines to know when to speak or when to, when not to speak. Number three, number three, number three. Okay, when you call someone out or get called out, okay, works either way, honor the Lord. You got to honor the Lord, okay? And, 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 And in order to do this, you need to check your motives. You can't judge people's motives, but you can judge your motives. And if you're only doing this because you don't like that person, that is not honoring to God. And by the way, you cannot say you honor God and mistreat people. Because one of the ways you honor God is by loving 
people. Jesus said, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as well. So when you get called out, don't get defensive. Don't get offended. I'm leaving the church. I'm sorry. I just had to do that. But you judgmental. No. First thing, when you get called out, is you look to heaven and say, God, are they right? And if they're right, what is the godly way to go about it? And if they're wrong, what is the godly way to go about it? So when you get called out or call somebody out, always remember to honor the Lord. You don't destroy their dignity. You don't destroy their reputation. You honor them and you are careful with your timing, your tone of voice, the place, the attitude, because all that matters. Amen? Amen. Number four, to finish, number four, you got to aim for restoration. The goal in the church, the goal for a Christian to call each other out is not to condemn. It's not to point out. Listen to me. This is so key. Is to restore. In fact, when do you know when you should call somebody out or not? Well, do you have a plan to restore them? If you don't have a plan, don't say anything. When people come to me with, um, with uh, Pastor, we should do this in church, or we don't like this about church, I always say, well, what should we do instead? Because if you don't have an answer, but you, got, uh, you can only see the problem, that's complaining. Okay? So, you always aim for restoration. Paul said, release this man that his soul may be saved. And Jesus said, first deal with you, and then you can go with anybody. With, you can go and help others. Listen, Christian discipline should not be about punishing people or comparing people or condemning people, but about restoring people. So when we see a problem, we need to pray about a solution. I say, okay, if these teenagers are out at three in the morning and they're possibly having sex, what is the solution? What, how, how can I help them instead of just telling them that it's wrong? If, if, if you know, if so-and-so is wearing such short dresses, instead of just saying, what is the solution? We have that responsibility. And we need to do that because that matters. Amen? We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but He didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you. Transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.